0: the you kind of like this guy but when you can't decide between the filet fish <laughs> um, or the big mac and he says i'll get you both thank you you definitely <laughs> yeah, like this guy meal get it at mcdonald's when you get two of your faves for just six bucks limited time only prices and participation may vary single item regular price
1: hello and welcome to little gold men an award season podcast from vanity fair and panoply I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Mike. Hi. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. So we've started this podcast because award season culminates with the Oscars in February, but it's actually already begun. Because winning an Oscar is a long process of shaking hands and courting voters and sitting out screeners and listening to people like us yammer on about who's ahead in the race. So this year we want to share with you the conversations that we're having amongst ourselves and other insiders this time of year. The three of us will be getting together every other week between now and February to hash it all out and put it all into context and tell all the best stories about just how crazy this season gets for the sake of winning one little gold statue. On this week's episode, we'll catch you up on the Oscar buzz that got started at the Toronto Film Festival, and then look at two A-list actors who are trying to change their Oscar fates with really big fall movies. And then to finish, we'll go big before we go home, predicting, almost entirely sight unseen, this year's Best Picture winner. So we've all recently returned from the Toronto Film Festival, which ended last week. And it's usually like a starting gun for award season. There's a movie premiere, the movies rack up as much buzz as they can, and then we all spend the next six months talking about them as they race toward the Oscars. But this year, the whole thing felt a little bit quieter, I think we all agreed, at least at first. And just as it seemed to be winding down and we were all leaving town, these two favorites emerge. There's Room, which is an intimate mother and son drama based on a best-selling book, and Spotlight, which is a very fact-heavy recounting of the Boston Globe investigation into the priest abuse scandals. First, we can hear a clip from Room.
0: I guess they still can't hear us.
1: Do you remember how Alice
0: wasn't always in Wonderland?
1: She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in Room. <laughs> I'm like Alice. Now we've got a chance. I'm scared. I know. Room went on to win the Toronto Audience Award, which as we'll discuss later is a really important part of award season. And then Spotlight was actually the runner-up, in addition to receiving some of the best reviews of the festival. So that seemed to me to confirm that these are the only two Oscar heavy movies that came out of the festival, which is pretty unusual in a festival with hundreds of movies. Do you guys agree with me? Is it am I crazy just to focus all the attention on these two titles?
0: Spotlight right after I, I saw it at the P and I screening in the morning, the press and industry screening. Everyone I spoke to was like, "That's going to win Best Picture."
1: Like, win Best Picture. Yeah,
0: that's what people were saying. That, but I think also by that point, that was what that was Monday or Tuesday morning. It, it, or, relatively yeah, early. It was relative, but I think people were kind of just like ready for that moment, and I think that they maybe kind of pushed it. I mean I think it's a really great, great movie. It was probably my favorite thing, you know, sort of Oscary at the festival that I saw. But I don't know, I think there was maybe the faintest whiff of, of people it's a small movie, you know, I don't know if, if it if it really has the kind of kind of awardsy oomph to, to take it all the way to February.
2: Well, I haven't seen Spotlight, but I am very familiar with Festival Fever, right? Especially by Mm -hmm. Monday or Tuesday, everybody's sleep-deprived. Like Richard said, it's kind of like, when are we going to see that movie that blows us away? There hasn't been a 12 Years a Slave yet. There hasn't been, you know, whatever that film is that knocks everybody out. 12 Years
1: a Slave having premiered at Toronto two years ago and then kind of marched from there to Best Picture. Right.
2: And, you know, small movies can go very far. Boyhood, I remember seeing it at South by Southwest last year and thinking, wow, what a great movie. Too bad there's no chance it'll factor into the Oscars. And it was a pretty close runner-up to Birdman last year. But I do think that, you know, one of the things, the obvious things from Spotlight is that it doesn't have one of these Completely killer, you know, it it has a good ensemble cast, but not like a murderer's row of movie stars in it, right? Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton apparently is amazing in it, but he was kind of amazing last year and had his whole amazingness thing that we did that last year. And I do, I am curious to see, I'm going to see it on Thursday in a tiny room. You know, here in the city, and I'm curious to see if it has that same impact on me, or if it's one of those things that happens at a communal screening in Canada where everybody's just thinking about nothing but movies for six days.
1: And I'm curious about the same thing for Room, which I saw at its Toronto premiere, and it got this huge standing ovation, and people, you know, weeping in the aisles, and it's a really emotional, effective movie, but it's also really small. It's basically just these two actors. It's Brie Larson, she's 25, she's kind of an emerging star, but not a lot of people know who she is, and then Jacob Tremblay, who plays her son, who I think is eight years. Old and it's this really intimate story. And it's you know, movies like that that don't have a big cast or don't have big effects or visual style aren't often Oscar players. But Room winning the audience award at Toronto suggests that it could be. Mike, you saw it not at a Toronto screening full of a standing ovation, but did it have the same impact?
2: Yeah, 500 Park Avenue. Um, you know, and I walked in three minutes late, so I even, like, had, it, was, it was that Why bad. Why is she in that room? What an experience. is she doing? That? Yeah, but I do think that the film is incredibly powerful. I was saying to you guys, halfway through, there's a scene that is so gripping that I found myself just curled up in my little plush, you know, screening chair, <laughs> gripping the sides of this, of the seat. You know, and then it takes an interesting turn. The second half is kind of unexpected. My sense is that it's a really, really good movie, that in the end goes uh, lunges for the sentimental thing rather than like the pure film thing but I think that that might actually make it very successful with the Oscars right? Oscars tend to reward sentimentality Mm -hmm. Brie Larson definitely has a nice narrative as a young person who's done a lot of great movies short term 12 everybody kind of stood up and noticed when that film came out and this kid is incredible. Yeah. Do I? I don't even know. Do movies with kid performances like this tend to do well Beast at the, the Oscars? Beast of the Southern Wild. Beasts Southern Wild not that Miss long Sunshine, ago. Little
0: Sunshine. I mean, even the Sixth Sense. I mean, Whale the right, yeah. Piano. I mean, I think that what Room has over Spotlight is maybe that is that sentimental factor. I think that it's such a sort of intimate. You know, the Jeff Wellses of the world. Um, you know, the sort of notorious Hollywood elsewhere writer might might say that it's a little too sentimental or whatever. But I think it has that over Spotlight, although. Um, Mike, you'll see when you see it, at the end of Spotlight, there are these title cards kind of explaining the kind of the breadth of this church sex abuse scandal, you know, kind of globally. And if a movie ever won Best Picture based on title cards at the end, that's it. Because that sends you out of the theater after a very procedural kind of unemotional, largely unemotional movie. Then you're like, holy shit, like this is so huge. And then the movie just feels bigger because they kind of like sneak in the sense of scope at the very end. So I think that that, but I think that for the, for the duration room has it in spades. So I think that it kind of has the edge in in that regard.
1: Yeah. I'm curious if we've come so far as a movie going culture, since all the president's men, that something like spotlight that is procedural and all the president's men is fascinating because of the detail and the way you get into that investigation. But I don't know if we go for that as much as we used to, I think critic types do, but I, I am really curious about the audience impact of spotlight. But the fact that it won the audience award at Toronto, which granted is not your average multiplex audience, it's people who are choosing to go to a film festival, but that does suggest a audience pull.
2: I'm uh, going to throw out a crazy theory, which is that <laughs> the Oscars are not... Critic awards, there are a lot of those. Mm-hmm. The Oscars are industry awards. It's people who make movies. And I think that, you know, critics may sit there and say, oh, this offends my sense of taste that you kind of went too hard for a sentimental win. But I think people who make movies and try to get people to come to the cinema or come to a multiplex, even more important know that they have to move people and it's really hard and so i think that that may be one reason why we tend to as critics be like oh god the oscars get so schmaltzy but Mm -hmm. like they this is what they do it's kind of like for us you know writing on the internet you got to make stuff that people read you know you can't just do (laughs) things that that, oh oh, (laughs) it's all about searches and optimization in
1: movie form yeah yeah, and that's uh, and Spotlight also has a big cast, so half the people voting in the Academy have probably worked with John Slattery or Mark Ruffalo or that's Rachel true. McAdams at some point, so there's a clubbiness. I'm also fascinated by the narrative of director Tom McCarthy, who had, a, by all accounts, the worst film at Toronto last year, The Cobbler, the Adam Sandler vehicle that, mm. it's, as far as I know, went straight to Netflix, and now this year has the best film at Toronto. That's a, that's a good turnaround story. <laughs>
2: well, and also you mentioned the, the big cast, and this is another reason why these small movies tend to be underdogs and, and, and probably helps explain why. When there's a studio film in the running... You know, there's a lot of support from all the kind of what we call below the line people Mm -hmm. who want those kinds of movies to succeed and be good. They don't want to do like a run and gun film over 10 years with six people on the set. They want like 400 people on the set and Mm -hmm. craft services.
0: Yeah. And I think also in terms of spotlight that Tom McCarthy, you know, started his career as an actor he has that support behind him I mean you know I think even though Affleck didn't get the directing nomination like I think that the fact that he was part of the acting community and then transferred you know you know, transitioned into directing really helped Argo I well, say
2: it's, it's the fantasy for every actor exactly mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> like you know
0: it's the you know I want to direct made manifest and then you know winning Oscars so I don't know that Tom McCarthy is quite a sort of presence enough to have his own kind of shot. He's at not big Batman, awards. is what you're saying? Right, exactly. But I think that the fact that he is an actor who has, you know, been in, you know, the trenches with a lot of vo- voters might help him quite a bit.
1: And Room has an interesting underdog story behind the scenes. It's from A24, which is a relatively new distributor and has distributed a lot of really great movies. It had Spring Breakers was its first big hit. And this is kind of its first really heavy duty awards hopeful. So there's there's a element of rooting for it there. But also it's an outsider. So like you were saying, it's not coming from Warner Brothers or Fox where it has a bunch of gaffers who have worked with them before and want them to succeed.
2: Yeah, A twenty four is a really interesting company and, and full disclosure, our own Punch Hutton's <laughs> husband is one of the key people there, John Hodges. But they've been doing so many great things, including short term twelve. Mm-hmm. And this would be a very big vindication for them. It would really establish them as players, I think.
1: Before we leave Toronto behind, I even think...
2: a nomination, I oh, think. Yeah, would, yeah, would I think. Be a lot yeah,
1: a lot that would be a big victory for them. Before we leave Toronto behind, I think there's a lot of movies that we all saw not just these two. So, since we're talking about the Oscars, not just quality, uh, what else that you saw, Richard? Do you feel like is someone's going to be talking about between now and the end of the year?
0: Well, I don't know that it's coming out this year. So we had we, uh, we I tried to do a little googling before this, but I didn't find any concrete info. But I went. You know, it's festivals. You have these long days of seeing movies. You kind of. I mean, I'll be honest. You know, I sometimes you'll skip something because it doesn't sound great. It just seems like a kind of forget forgettable festival film. I chastised myself into going to see the meddler this little indie sort of indie movie with Susan Sarandon and Rose Byrne and I had a grin on my face for two straight hours it was my one of my favorite things at the festival and it's Susan Sarandon I think it's at her best and if she was in the hunt this year I'd be rooting for her if she's in the hunt next year I will be rooting for her in the meddler it's really really great
1: I can talk real quick about yeah. Anomalisa, which got picked up by Paramount at the end of the festival, which was kind of a surprise because it's a small stop-motion animated film from co-directed by Charlie Kaufman. But it's fascinating. It got a lot of people talking. It's very surprisingly emotional for also being very wry and Charlie Kaufman-y. And what's fascinating about Anomalisa is it can compete in the Best Animated Feature Oscar category. So it will be going up against Inside Out and Hotel Transylvania 2 and any other kids movie. And this category that's often dominated by Pixar now has a chance to have something really wild in there.
2: Yeah, Anomalisa is awesome. And and you can see Paramount thinking like, oh, there's four slots in Best Animated. We can get one of those. <laughs> yeah. They're going to beat Inside Out. Yeah. But even just to get the nomination. Mm-hmm. And how about Jennifer Jason Leigh having a weird comeback year yeah. this year between that? which And it started as a play, Anomalisa. Did it and really? They, yeah, they had to persuade Charlie Kaufman that it would be a good idea to turn it into a stop-motion puppet thing with full frontal nudity. That happens all the time. Yeah. And that it's, classic holiday right. tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she's also you know, going to be in Hateful Eight and i actually heard someone in her camp suggesting that that might be quite an oscar performance inside
1: as well. knowledge I inside like this. knowledge
2: that's what we're here for <laughs> i think the movie that really grabbed me was 45 years and charlotte rampling playing a woman who's been in a marriage for 45 years and then her husband tom courtney they live in like in the in the british countryside and her husband gets a letter that his girlfriend from when he was in his 20s who fell off of a glacier while they were mountain climbing in the Alps. Her body's been discovered, and it's perfectly preserved at age 27. And he goes through this whole crisis of being like, she looks like that still, and I look like this. Never mind that she's been dead for 50 years. That all sounds kind of lurid, but it's incredibly sort of quiet and beautiful. And I think Charlotte Rampling, I could really see her getting a nomination from that film. And I just found it completely bewitching, although it might have been also Festival Fever.
1: Yeah, it was the first movie we all saw at Toronto. So it's kind of like, oh, it seems so, I saw Fantastic Four and now it's this.
2: But also I do think that, um, I think Sandra Bullock is still a possibility for our Brandis Crisis. I noticed I, I all the Gold Derby, I was doing my Gold Derby picks last night at a ludicrous Gold Derby being time.
1: a great source for obsessive awards coverage. Well,
2: this is where they kind of are browbeating us all to make Oscar picks now, which is absurd. But anyway, no one had picked uh, Sandra Bullock yet. But I think, you know, she's a big movie star. It's a pretty great performance. It's not like her world class, but, you know, why not? Yeah, yeah
0: I mean, they, I, I think that that's like a stick around nomination. And they're like, we like you. Just keep 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 doing things and, and <laughs> yeah. you know, making big comedies. And then you can do these little artsy things. And then we'll, we'll reward you for that in a different way. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Yeah. Before we continue talking about movies, I wanted to take a short break and talk about the Emmys, which happened on Sunday night. It's a TV award. This is, for now, not a TV podcast, but I do think as an award show, it's kind of interesting to watch the Emmys and compare them to the Oscar broadcast that we'll all be obsessively watching in a couple of months. And I'm curious about if if you guys agree that there are things that the Oscars can learn from the Emmys, and if so, what that is. My big takeaway was, I thought Andy Samberg did a pretty great job as host, and his opening musical number was really goofy and not too serious, which I think is the problem that the Oscars have year after year that they're trying to be glitzy and glamorous and celebrate cinema and not poke fun at it in that kind of we're all in this together way that Andy Sandberg did with the binge watching. So hopefully whoever hosts this year's Oscars can watch that and think it's okay to celebrate the industry and also poke fun at it because you know there's a lot of room for that.
2: Yeah, no. I thought Andy Samberg did a good job. I, I will say, I saw a lot of people and heard from a lot of people who didn't like it. So I guess you know, when you take chances, you run the risk of you can't please everybody. But it is that perennial problem that the Oscars have, which is that they take themselves so seriously. The Globes is, you know, notoriously, you know, ten times as much fun to watch because are drinking, drinking. and <laughs> they don't really care if they win or not because it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. Whereas you know, the Oscars, everybody's a nervous wreck. It's kind of like this doomed thing. Like no one can keep up with. Even Billy Crystal couldn't match Billy Crystal when he, when they brought him back. You know, they're sort of like, oh, Bob Hope knew how to do it. Nobody else knows how to do it. But yeah, I don't know. I have no idea how to fix the Oscars.
0: <laughs> well, I think that one thing from the, oh, I think first of all, I, the Andy Samberg opening number that referenced Billy Crystal's old Oscar opening numbers, and musical numbers, I, I really missed those. I realized mm-hmm. watching yeah. the, the Emmys on Sunday night. But I think the other thing you look at that show it just moves. It's you know they have it, they have it very broken down. You know it's very strictly by category. You start with comedy, then you go to reality, then you go to drama. We're done. I mean it's still three hours, but it doesn't. But the feel, Oscars
1: are often four.
0: Yeah, and I know that they have a sort of obligation to you know they want to stretch it out for advertising and you know, all that stuff. So the Oscars are always going to be long, but I think that there's some fat that you can trim away. That to look to the Emmys where it's just you know boom 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 like category after category without you know random salutes to salutes you know and whatever they <laughs> do on the oscars so i think that th- i think that uh, a sort of sense of efficiency is what the oscars could learn from the emmys
2: and, and if there were some way to get a sense of intimacy back i you probably can't but that would that's the one thing it feels like such a monolith and it you know i think when you watch those old reels film reels of like the early Oscars it just felt like you know this glamorous night out for hollywood i think i guess another part of the problem is there's 50 award shows leading up to the oscars and by that point everybody's completely exhausted you've seen them all mm-hmm. and they have to somehow like top everything that came before i don't know the whole thing is
0: diseased
1: <laughs> well we'll spend five more months talking yeah. about that yeah. I'm looking forward <laughs> yeah. to that welcome
0: to the podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> so turning back to movies Last weekend, for the first time in actually more than five years, a Johnny Depp movie opened to really good reviews. This is not counting his tiny role in Into the Woods, which I don't think is fair as a Johnny Depp movie. Anyway, his performance as Whitey Bulger in Black Mass is actually earning him award season buzz for the first time since Finding Neverland. And it's the kind of comeback narrative that fuels Oscar campaigns, because everyone wants to celebrate Johnny Depp making a movie for grownups again. We can hear a clip of Johnny Depp in Black Mass here.
0: I thought it was a family secret.
1: <laughs> it's a recipe. No. No.
0: You said to me this is a family secret, and you gave it up to me. Boom. Don't look to John because he's not gonna help you. You spill the secret family recipe today, maybe you spill about me tomorrow. Is that something? Maybe that's a possibility. I was just saying. You were just saying just saying gets people sent to allenwood just saying could get you buried real quick
1: On top of that, on the horizon, there's Matt Damon in The Martian, which is also another movie that rides on his shoulders. He's an A-list actor. He's doing something a little bit different, and I think at least deserves award season attention for it. And it's not Oscar season without big A-list actors trying to get awards, but that narrative doesn't always pan out. But just think of last year, Eddie Redmayne, who no one really had heard of, uh, won the Best Actor Prize over Michael Keaton, who was a veteran doing a really great role for the first time in a while, not unlike Johnny Depp. So there's Johnny Depp, there's Matt Damon right now, there's a lot of other big stars coming out with movies this fall. Do you guys see this as an A-list season? Is that a narrative that's going to be driving us as opposed to exciting newcomers?
0: I mean, I think that something like The Martian, which you know was at Toronto that really kind of took early, it screened early, everyone kind of went crazy for it, including me. I think that Matt Damon is so endlessly likable in that movie it's been a while I think since we've seen him really command a movie in the, in the way that he does even though there's a great ensemble cast I am not so bullish on his Oscar chances I think that maybe goodwill for the film could could put him in I mean he'll, he's a shoe in for a Golden Globe for a comedy because yeah. they're going to run that movie in comedy which I think is interesting the I think it's Globes. a perfect idea, um, idea too but I think that he is yeah Katie representative of that we have some big big names lining up you know sort of in the queue for, for awards this year I mean we have Brie Larson on the actress Side who I would still count as a newcomer, even Definitely. though she's gotten you know some other acclaim. She's she, got
1: the Eddie Redmayne yeah, style.
0: Yeah, I you know I was talking the other day with somebody about how oh it's so weird that Brie Larson is going to be up against Kate Blanchett for an Oscar, but they pointed out that two years ago she was up, there was the same situation when Brie Larson was in Short Term Twelve and she was up against. Cate Blanchett, you know, at the Independent Spirit Awards and the Gotham Awards, which actually, I think Brie Larson won. I think won. she did, yeah. So I think that she's the kind of newcomer, but I think on the actor side, I think we're dealing with Depp, I think, you know, Matt Damon, like, I think there's a lot of big uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, potentially, uh, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, so yeah, I think that we're kind of lacking, on the male side at least, that sort of discovery. Mm-hmm. But I guess that doesn't tend to happen with actors, that we tend to do that more with actresses.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it looks like a, it looks like a good year for, for best actor. There's just so many people in there. You got Michael Caine, you got Michael Fassbender, you got just like not enough spaces for all the people who we expect to do incredible performances. And, you know, DiCaprio, it looks like we're going to do this thing again, where (laughs) we, you know, try and get him his Oscar. And, you know, maybe if John Hamm can get his Emmy, Leo can get his Oscar. I will say that, you know, and a lot of this has to do with expectations. I kind of walked into Black Mass having been informed by whatever, the ether that Johnny Depp was going to get a nomination for this and could win. And I walked into the Martian thinking this is going to be like a fun Ridley Scott space movie. And so I came out of the Martian going, man, Matt Damon is so good. Mm -hmm. He deserves an Oscar nomination. And I came out of black mass going, yeah, okay. Johnny Depp's pretty good. So I don't know, you know, it's like maybe other people will have that sense of enthusiasm. I think also Actors technically may look at what... Matt Damon did, working basically completely alone on a set that was you know supposed to be Mars. And the fact that he moves you, he didn't even, you know nobody in that movie even talked to Matt Damon, none of the other actors. They, they shot it in three segments, and I think the Matt Damon segment was last. So he could benefit from seeing the other performances, but there was no interaction. Mm-hmm. And so when you think technically, and actors I think will think technically about what a performance was, it is quite impressive. And then it's always that weird question that I have about blockbuster Oscar movies you know, is there a point where it makes so much money that it's no longer an Oscar movie? Well, Um, Gravity is
1: the interesting comparison to the Martian, and Gravity was really serious and spiritual, and I think had that going for it in terms of awards juice, but I I think the surprise factor of the Martian is really important, because if later The Revenant, which has Leonardo DiCaprio, and concussion with Will Smith, turned out to be really door heavy, kind of take your medicine dramas, then maybe the Martian being really fun and poppy could really benefit it. I mean, it didn't work for Interstellar, which was also kind of door and heavy, but I th- I do but think-
2: Interstellar didn't make any sense, and... <laughs> This movie <laughs> makes perfect
1: sense. It makes very literal it's, physical.
2: Sense. I mean, I think someone's going to fact check it. Remember, they did that to the to, to Gravity as well. But I have a feeling. I have a weird feeling when they fact check it, they'll be like, "It's all right." <laughs>
1: well, I
0: think the I think the clever thing about The Martian also is that it's written almost for the fact checkers. Like, it's so nerdy, yeah. and it's like it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson is going to love it. Whereas, yeah. I think Gravity, he was a little bit more circumspect about it. You know, this
2: is a movie that could like launch you know a million science
0: careers. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's a sneaky. I think NASA fund this movie. Yeah. I mean it's going to make so it's many. like kids. could you yeah.
2: please fund our mission to Mars? Right. In fact they made they released news yesterday saying we really would love to send
0: someone well, to Mars we're just waiting we for promise that money. We we won't leave what, someone behind. What interesting yeah. timing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I mean I think but going back to, to Depp I think that you know I don't think this will never happen but I think they, he would have a great shot in supporting but I think that huh. I think that enough of the the story in Black Mass is subsumed by Joel Edgerton's character, who plays the FBI agent who um, was in cahoots with Whitey Belcher for many years, uh, that I think that Depp is like the kind of commanding lead that doesn't quite take shape in the movie. But he's such a commanding presence, you know, it's still one of his big, weird characters.
2: Well, that's an interesting but, point
0: because a villain
2: as... Basically, it's a villain as best actor is what you're right. asking for. And I think, you know, and, and um, Scott Cooper said outright you know at Toronto like I my whole pitch to Johnny is everybody loves you in every movie and I want to make a movie where everybody hates you you know that is not necessarily the most Oscar-y thing to do it's an interesting artistic choice I'm sure Johnny Depp could give a crap if he has an Oscar or not
1: oh well, I, I wonder People in actually. his
2: orbit certainly care but I do think that someone that you can't root for it's really hard to root for this character. Yeah, well, Without I'm looking back. Him.
1: The last person to win Best Actor for a Villainous Character was Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood, and I think Johnny Depp even might agree that he's no Daniel Day-Lewis. That's a really high bar to clear. <laughs> but, I but even d- that
2: character you are rooting for him right you see him digging the ditch alone yeah. early on you yeah. kind of see where
0: it comes from he's a metaphor for America you're saying Whitey Bulger you know. is not a metaphor Katie are you for America? saying America's a villain that's my
1: question <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a political Oscar podcast all of a sudden I, I think your theory about him being a great supporting role would be really interesting because villains win supporting actor Oscars all the time but I really love Joel Edgerton in this I really hope he gets a supporting actor campaign going out of this too as we were talking About before he actually has a convincing Boston accent, so says Richard Lawson of Boston. So,
0: yeah, I I think it was convincing, and I think that Joel Edgerton, I said to people after the Black Mass screening got out, you know, that he's done this now a couple times where he sneaks up and kind of takes the movie away, Mm -hmm. you know, and and sort of is the most interesting. He did it in Great Gatsby, most recently, what I can remember, but Hmm. yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know if that performance is quite flashy enough, but we can talk about supporting actor in another.
1: So, the fact that we spent all this time talking about the Martian and not that much about Black Mass, I think, might say a little bit about Black Mass is staying power. It's hard to open a movie in September and uh, stay through the Oscar season. And I don't think Black Mass is necessarily a great movie, but I think Johnny Depp will keep it in the conversation for a long while, even if the movie itself doesn't have the legs to go the distance.
0: Yeah, he's got a big apparatus behind him and then you know they, he has many fans, I think.
1: And I think he's really great in this. I feel like I yeah. didn't make that clear enough. That Johnny yeah. Depp is legitimately good and he I is. think deserves attention. Oh, I
2: guess one other one other thing is, you know, at some point it becomes retail politicking <laughs> and is Johnny Depp gonna go around and shake the hands of six thousand Oscar voters? Probably not. And I don't know that Matt Damon is either, but Matt Damon is kind of like a natural politician, yeah. I feel like. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean that as an insult. I kind of mean it as a compliment. No, I mean,
1: Matt Damon shaking your hand, you'll feel like you're the only person Yeah, I in the mean, room. if he
2: shows up to the lunch, you know, for 10 minutes, yeah. I think it's a different, there's a, there's a different thing. But, you know, I, again, like, it's probably a long shot that Matt Damon even gets nominated, given the kind of heavy duty films that are coming down the pike. But, um, but it's Golden Globes, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah no. Oh, no, <laughs> Globes comedy. Yeah. It's, and that's apparently the strategy. That That's the idea. That's a great that, idea. It's a great like, idea. Them. Get him in, get him that nomination for comedy, make it a thing for mm-hmm. people to think about, and and then maybe rely on Matt Damon's charm and the success of the movie to carry it.
1: There have been worse ideas for yeah. campaigns in
2: the
0: past. <laughs>
1: and before we wrap up, it's time to go big and then go home. And it's time for all of us to mostly sight unseen, predict what will win best picture.
0: Richard? The conservative in me, which is very small, wants to say spotlight just because that's what everyone is saying. But I think that we're... I think it's a little too early to sort of go on festival fever. So I'm I'm going to say I think that it's, it's Steven Spielberg has this movie Bridge of Spies that we're going to see in a couple weeks at New York Film Festival. I had this weird argo-y feeling about it. It's, you know, period political piece. It's a uh, beloved actor who's kind of due for some love post Captain Phillips snub. Uh, That'd be Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, excuse me. Yes, I don't know. I I have this weird feeling about it. I mean, I'll probably feel differently when I see it in two weeks, but I'm going to say Bridge of Spies right now.
1: That's what this category is for. Going back and going home. Uh, I am sticking with my idea that the boy movies of the fall are going to cancel each other out. And David O. Russell's Joy, which is a biopic about a female inventor, it starts Jennifer Lawrence, who is the Internet's girlfriend. I think it's if it turns out really well, which with David O. Russell, the movie might not even be finished at this point. So who knows how it's going to turn out? But if it's good, I think it has the ability to go really far. It's been a good. Year for feminist topics. I think a movie about a fascinating woman could do really well in this environment.
2: Well, really, knowing very little about the film, all I know is that apparently it's got, you know, Oscar consultant upon Oscar consultant already working on it, and people have seen 20 minutes and it wasn't a complete mess. So I'm going to throw down on The Revenant. I think it's, you know, it's clearly trying to do this which is often like not a good strategy but I don't know at least uh, there are enough people who seem to think it has a chance that I'm going to put my attempted smart money on the revenant so Leo DiCaprio too. Tom Hardy and you
0: to yeah,
1: and you to know. back to back best picture wins that's a uh
0: it's a lot. And it's an beards are just so, you know, au courant beards, you know. So and a lot of beards from judging from that trailer. So I think
1: there's probably some flannel involved too. Oh, it's yeah, very Yeah, hip. And a
0: bear. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, if there's anything yeah. the
1: Academy's known for, it's its hip taste. Yeah. So it <laughs> yeah. should go well. Well, that does it for our first episode of Little Gold Men. You can find all of us writing about award season and much more at Vanityfair.com. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H Mike.
2: Mike underscore Hogan. That's my Twitter. And Richard? Rila's R-I-L-A-W-S.
1: Our engineer was David Herman, and our producer was Tim Einickel. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks.